Good morning. Jamie Souls here. I would like to welcome you to the Chinook podcast. Why, thank you. And, well, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> a Chinook is a warm wind rolling down the eastern slopes of the Rocky Mountains, breaking up the bitter cold of winter, bringing relief, melting the collected ice of Alberta into water, which can do some good. And we here on this podcast hope to see the spirit of the living God moving here in Alberta, melting the hearts of the frozen, giving them new life and refreshment again after the winter in which our sins left us. And we hope you find this talk refreshing, for we would like to converse with you about the practice of hospitality and what a great blessing it is to the church, to our families, and to the world when we take this practice seriously. It is one of God's most useful tools. So, here we are, inviting you in to join us in hospitable fashion. As I said, my name is Jamie Souls. I'm an elder here at Christ Covenant Church in Grand Prairie. And, boy, is it cold outside. We could really use a Chinook. Minus 39, <laughs> my phone told me a short time ago. Brr. <laughs> And my name is Brad Donovan. I'm also an elder here at Christ Covenant Church in Grand Prairie. And yeah, I definitely would like some warmer weather, but I hear a rumor that Christmas will only be like 12 degrees below zero. Oh, well, wouldn't wow. that be? Yeah. That would be like balmy. It would be. I'd almost break out the old t-shirt. That'd be like sweater weather, maybe, instead of like deep parka weather yeah. as we've got just oh. now. Yeah, deep parka. Anyway. And I'm Nathan Zeckfeld, and I'm the pastor here at Christ Covenant Church. And yeah, this is very cold. It's my well second year up here in Grand Prairie, so I'm getting used to the cold again. I very clearly remember working in negative 27 degree temperatures with Brad <laughs> eight years ago. Yes. And my fingers would not stay warm. <laughs> no, and uh, they don't. Yes. We, we live here in this part of the world where the cold hurts our face. Yeah, the air is trying to kill you. This is, <laughs> the air will kill you. This is a true thing. But yeah, I remember having uh, taken Nathan out to his first drilling rig. Ah. Yes. It was a big yeah. triple. Neighbors 97. We were up in uh, Sunset Pasture, I think. And uh, they were, I think they were drilling on surface still. They were only about five or 600 meters down hole. And they hit a water pocket and uh, took a kick. And it, if you've ever been on a drilling rig and you've watched the shale shakers explode with water, it's, it's remarkable. Um, it's something that uh, creation scientists should probably get a hold of and, uh, and bring into their wheelhouse of proofs for the flood because every time we drill a hole in the ground, we hit water. Mm. And it's salty, slightly radioactive, and it tastes gross. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, hospitality. 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 I would like today to lay a bit of a foundation for our discussion uh, and for you, that you might better understand the Christian impulse to provide hospitality. I'd like you to speculate with me. Let us consider the Trinity before the world was made. The three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then dwelt together in perfect harmony. They lacked nothing. They needed nothing. 
If what we read about each of the members in the scriptures are true, they each one were each other's biggest fan. If one was praised, the second person would agree, and the praised one would then point away from themselves and to the other two. It was a three-way mutual admiration society. They each were individuals, and they together were a group, yet they were one God. They were both one and many at the same time. And thus, parenthetically, the answer to the great philosophical dilemma about what is most important to the individual or the group, it finds its resolution in the Christian God and only in the Christian God. They had no need of a world. They had no need of man. They were totally self and other sufficient in themselves. They had conversation with one another. Probably a really long one. <laughs> they loved one another, and that love was enough that they could have carried on forever in that way without any loss to themselves. So the question arises, why did they make man? Why did they make the world? Now, we have to speculate because we're not told as far as I know, but we know that it was not to fulfill some lack in themselves. They did not need or want slaves. So it had to be some kind of overflow of divine love that made them do it. Perhaps each of the members wanted each of the others to be given more accolades than they were providing. Maybe the father and the son, for instance, agreed together that the Spirit was so awesome that there needed to be more than just two of them to acknowledge it. The Father and the Spirit did the same about the Son. The Son and the Spirit did the same about the Father. Now, speculation, of course, but if it was not this, then some other good impulse arose among them, and they decided together to act on it. They made man... They made a man in the image of God and placed that man on the world they made as we read in Genesis. And why? Man was made so that he could be welcomed into that heavenly conversation and add his praises to those of the Godhead. He was made to be a witness outside the Godhead that what they said was true. Now, I want you to notice the hospitality that is innate in God, the God whom we worship. We were made to be welcomed in, to be heard from in God's presence. Think of the Trinity as the first church and Adam and Eve as the first attenders of service. Think of the Trinity as the first home and Adam and Eve as the first strangers. God welcomed them into his presence, showing them hospitality, wanting to hear from them, wanting to praise God together with them. We Christians are called to show hospitality in the scriptures to strangers. You know, in Hebrews, it says some have entertained angels without knowing it, and to one another. And we do so, though, not simply because of a bare command, but because we are called to imitate our God, and our God is hospitable. We are hospitable because he is hospitable. 
So let's talk about uh, let's talk about hospitality. Mm, indeed, Brad, where would you start if you were uh, talking about Christian hospitality? Well, first off, I would go where you went to the Trinity. I think that being that we are made by God in His own image, we uh, we share in in those aspects of His being uh, regarding relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you talk about hospitality, I think that the best, the first best place to go is within the Trinity. Uh, now you can also go to a dictionary. I've got one up here on my phone right now. It just ah. says hospitality. It's a noun. A noun. A noun. I, no. Yeah. You can grammar that. Um, the, <laughs> if, you it, if you do it twice, is it renown? I don't know. Oh. All right. I'm sorry. Carry yeah. on. It, it might be renown. <laughs> <laughs> hospitality is the friendly and generous <clears throat> reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. So, ah. and that right there is a description of what's happening in, in the triune life, and we being made by God in his own image do the same. Uh, it's interesting, one of the things uh, in Romans 1 talks about the, uh, the creation, uh, demonstrating the invisible attributes of God. In all cultures throughout all history, you always have a standard of or a, uh, a pattern of hospitality. Interesting. Every culture has it. So uh, there was a really remarkable example of this in, uh, in the late Afghan war where an American soldier was injured, blown off of a mountain, received hospitality from the locals to the point that they engaged in a, a multi-day standoff with the enemy so that this man didn't get captured and killed. Mm. Because their code of hospitality, he came asking for help. He was badly injured, and so they gave help, right? So they have this code of hospitality, which is a throwback to, you know, something that I think would be more familiar in more places in previous centuries. Interesting. But in, and that's in a Muslim culture. Mm-hmm. In Christian cultures, you've got this, this idea of feasting around the, uh, the, the family table, as being a central feature of hospitality, uh, but you have this in every in every culture. Hmm. There's there's this hospitality ethic, and it's innate in man because it is in God. Because it's in God, and God and man is made in the image of God. Yes, and so he naturally he naturally shows this forth. Yes, and it, one of the worst <clears throat> crimes you can commit in many pagan cultures, is a crime against hospitality. Hmm. Uh, you'll, if you read the, um, like the, the classic Greek and Roman literature, the worst scoundrels are, are the guys that violate hospitality. When Herodotus writes his history, and he's got the Persian emperor uh, stewing a man's son and then feeding him the stew, it's a crime <laughs> against hospitality. Right? He's, he's saying to his Greek audience, Herodotus is, hmm. that these Persians are, are wicked. Because, you know, look at this crime yes. that, that happened at a feast where a man was invited to a hospitable banquet and then this crime was committed against him and his son. Interesting. Yeah, th- some of the worst crimes that yeah. in, 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 the, in the old literature is against hospitality. You know, I've thought, about, I've thought about hospitality in terms of it being a Christian grace, which I'm sure, it's, I'm sure it is. Yeah, in our particular form, I, I would argue that it is. Yeah, right. Well, I think I think hospitality in Christianity would 
take on a different shape than in other um, religions or around the world because hospitality is shown to everyone within Christianity. Yeah, there's no there's no cl- uh, pariah class. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in many other okay. cultures, there is a pariah class. Yes. There is someone outside of the hospitality. Right, but it wasn't so in the uh, in the Muslim world that you were just describing. Yeah, in, in that Afghanistan. One, yeah, in that case, interesting. Th- there, there was a certain, um, and there, there, there were there were some very specific political forces at work in that. Right, in that local context, but. Yeah, you had an injured fellow asking for help and receiving it. Um, but the... Uh, the, the would, would that have happened had that man been a lower caste in India? Maybe not. But the thing is, it, um, it might not have happened if the enemy uh, Taliban had not been made up of foreign fighters. Hmm. If they had been local fighters... right that hospitality might not have been extended because the hierarchy of loyalty right. would have shifted away from the injured American and towards the fighters. So, and I'm, I'm speaking about the book Lone Survivor, if anyone's interested in reading the story. But mm-hmm. I, I find it interesting. But yeah, there's in most of these pagan cultures, there is some cast of person not welcome uh, with, to my hospitality. Uh, in in the Roman culture, uh, for example, if you were a slave, and there was a uh, like a member of the minor nobility or some higher status person, the slave would not be uh, a legitimate subject for hospitality. Okay, you, you, he he wouldn't you wouldn't be giving him hospitality. If anything, you'd be throwing him in jail until you could figure out who he belonged to to return him. <laughs> right. So when Paul with Onesimus mm-hmm. shows hospitality and then sends him back to Philemon with a marvelous little letter, right, Paul's doing something wildly different and outside the cultural norm of the Roman day. Hmm. Hmm. There's another interesting example of hospitality from Alexander the Great. Uh, in his uh, battle at the Hydaspes, he's fighting an Indian king named Porus, and uh, through a series of events, he defeats Porus in one of his most famous battles. He captures Porus, and so this captured Indian king is brought to Alexander, and Alexander says, and how should I treat you? And Porus says, like a king, right? One king to another. Mm -hmm. And so what does Alexander do? Reinstates him to his kingdom, adds territory to it, and makes him a greater... <laughs> King. So, and this, of course, reflects on Alexander's glory because Alexander is now more glorious because yes, he has because he has the power to affect something like that. Yeah, he has he has added more glory to this man through his hospitality, right? But if Porus is just a, a foot soldier, he's not the king. His he just loses his head, mm-hmm. or or maybe they just let him go because he's not worth anything, or they sell him into slavery, mm. right? So there there is a certain um, caste system in most pagan cultures where your hospitality doesn't go, but in Christ, that's not the case. So basically what you explain there <sighs> demonstrates that there's something very basic to our human nature, to who we are as made in the image of God, that when a Christian shows hospitality, um, that that Christian is really reaching out to a fellow human being made in the image of God in, in the most 
foundational sense of the word. Like there's, there's something very deep to our human nature about that act of hospitality. Yes. And when we talk about like, you know, sins against hospitality, there's also the aspect of receiving hospitality. Okay. Like you can sin against your host, your host. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could uh, maybe pick a fight at the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> you can show dislike to your food or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Right. right. Yeah. And Nathan puts, puts food in front of me. Nah, I don't know. And that's more egregious like that. in certain cultures than in our culture here in right. North America. As much as somebody might be offended here in North America, right. yep. they're going to be much more offended in a place like India or yes. China yeah. or, or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, you... Uh, you don't turn down food. No, never. Uh, if, if it's put in front of you, you eat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this, is, this is one in, that I've seen that uh, drives me nuts. Okay, so when I go over to somebody's place and they hand me a beer... I say, thank you, and I drink it. I like good beer. Now, if it's like a cheap lager, like, you know, real cheap beer, I still say thank you, and then I praise the beer. You know, this is, this is a good beer for a hot day, right? That, you know, that, oh, I, that's my default in the summertime. Oh, that's a great cold beer on a hot day. Because, you know, who doesn't like a good cold beer on a hot day? But if it's a cheap, like, a cheap beer, I'm not going to be sitting there saying to my host who just gave me this grace, oh, you know, like I really prefer darker beer or an IPA or whatever is the, you know, the it girl of the beer world this week. (laughs) So so, so now I know what you'll be thinking next time I serve you a Budweiser. Oh, if you serve me a Budweiser, (laughs) I will say thank you. And this is a great beer for a hot day. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, I do like darker beers, thank you very much. But the point is, when a man gives you something like this, he's extending hospitality, he's showing grace, he's, he's showing kindness. Receive it with thanksgiving and joy. So there are sins against hospitality, both in the giving of or failing to give hospitality, but also in the receiving or failing to receive hospitality. That's very important. Yeah, yeah that's a, that's a good, uh, good thing to think on. Let's talk about um, let's talk about hospitality as a way to build the church. Um, in the early days of Christ's Covenant Church, mm-hmm. one of the things that we noticed very clearly in those days was that community in the local churches, in the churches around us, community was both praised and severely lacking (laughs) at the same time. Praised and absent. At the same time. Our routinely people would come to us and say, okay, well, at my church, uh, you know, when time 15 minutes is gone after the sermon, everybody's gone home by then. Mm. You know that you know that's common. That's common, and people don't don't spend time with one another. They don't go to one another's homes. They just would meet at church and then they go home. Um, <laughs> and and f- fifteen minutes after the service, we haven't even gotten everybody out of the sanctuary yeah. down to the coffee table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the way of it. But but I thought of it in terms of, uh, or we thought of it in those days that. 
we really needed to develop a congregation in which community was important. Mm-hmm. We needed to uh, be in one another's faces, in one another's lives, more than just for an hour on Sunday. We, we, we thought to ourselves that we've got to cultivate uh, we've got to cultivate this community so that we know one another really, so that we really do know them. Mm-hmm. And um, so we, we set out to do this. When we, when we planted the church, there were, there were five families, and there was, I think, one or two singles, something along those lines. And we were in one another's homes every week. Regularly. Every week, it seemed. Yeah. Uh, maybe we were over at Wattel's, or uh, Wattel's were over at Callahan's, or Callahan's were over at our place, or, or whatever it might be, we're all out at the plants. There, there was all kinds of, uh, of welcoming into one another's homes, which was a vision that we were deliberately trying to cast mm-hmm. to people who would come. We wanted to be not just insular in our in who we had over. But when we'd get a visitor at church, they'd get three or four invitations over. Right. Over for dinner. And we tried to develop that kind of culture in the midst of our congregation. And we discovered that it was really effective. Yeah. It was really effective because families would, uh, families would come or singles would, would come to the church and they uh, they participate in the worship of the church, and if they've if they've had background in evangelicalism, the ours seemed, seemed weird. And uh, <laughs> if they had background in in mainline churches and drifted away, ours seemed familiar. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so, but but when we'd have them over, and we ask about their life, and we talk with them yes. about what's going on in their life, and and uh, you know, just trying to get to know them, get to know them over the dinner table. Lots of those people stuck. Yes. Those people stuck. Uh, we realized that that the business of actually having people in where, uh, you know, as, as one of them, I remember expressing to me that, that uh, the leaders in the church are being very transparent by doing this, because if you get into somebody's home, you can, you, there's an aroma. Yes, right? you can tell. <laughs> you can tell if this house is working as a Christian home ought to, and elders who are willing to let that happen yep. are probably not going to mess you around later. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> because they've learned about, they learn what you're like at home. They know, they, they they sense the temperature when you were talking to your kids. They sense the temperature in how yes. you deal with your wife. That's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, yeah, you can always tell exactly how a man is when he's with his his social inferior mm-hmm. in an intimate setting. So your child, mm-hmm. how do you treat your children? And uh, when you've got company over for dinner. And my six-year-old or five-year-old, yeah, five-year-old, Walter, 
wants to talk to me and he's, he's tugging on the elbow. Mm-hmm. Well, he's usually doing more than tugging on the elbow. He'll like grab my whole leg. <laughs> tug, <laughs> yeah. Tug, tug, dad. Dad. You know, dad. He'll wrap his arms around my leg. He'll wrap his legs around my leg. And then he'll just start yelling at me. But how I respond to him tells everybody there immediately what kind of father I am. It's just because this is annoying. <laughs> He's sort of like the uh, the widow who couldn't get just, uh, justice. Yes. Yes. And, and then finally the judge gave it to her. So... He's learned the uh, the virtue of persistence. <laughs> yeah, so it shows a, a certain openness and even a willingness to open yourself up to uh, criticism potentially as well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, you can't when when you spend time in each other's houses, you can't really hide. There's nowhere to hide. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because that does seem to be something that really distinguished the early church right Mm -hmm. after Pentecost as well. Um, Because it strikes me that like what we're talking about here right now, having people into each other's homes um, was very clearly something that marked the earliest community that was filled by the spirit. So Acts 2 verse 45 to 47 And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So daily, Mm -hmm. breaking bread in their homes. That sounds like hospitality. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So there's very clearly um, an openness because... We're forgiven sinners. Um, we're being transformed into holiness by the by the by the Spirit, and so that sets us free to live each other, uh, live with each other in a very mm-hmm. open way, and to walk with each other. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it, it's a lot of fun too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I'd like to point out the fun that you can have. Yes, um, uh, we're we're constantly joking in our church, constant joking. I mean, if you if you uh, if you were to sit in on one of our men's meetings, yeah, we 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 joke, we have fun, and you can't not have fun when you're in the company of people whom you love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though we're Calvinists, yeah, we still we, have fun. Yes. Yeah, we are Calvinists, and we have fun. Yeah. Yes. because we were foreordained from before the foundation of the world to have fun. I have watched lots <laughs> of Calvinists laughing. Oh yes, I've, I've seen it with my own eyes. Uh, contrary to all stereotype. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've the <laughs> what, sour. What did somebody say about the the Calvinist was the was the guy who uh, was concerned that somewhere somebody was having fun. <laughs> it's a funny joke, <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure it's you know applicable. Well, in our case, yeah, I really hope not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be um, uh, a member of the fellowship of the furrowed brow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Not that's not what we're here for. Yeah, we don't, we don't just meet together and glare at each other. Yes. Though I've <laughs> been in a church that was like that. No, and I mean this like in a very literal sense. I was in Scotland. It would have been 2005. It was an open brethren church. So I believe it came out of the, uh, the closed brethren movement, which was some weird offshoot of Quakerism. Right. I, I think, think so. Yeah. It, it's, Yeah. I'm not entirely sure about their their uh, their history, but I was invited to this um, Sunday morning service, and the whole thing was they had a table uh, like this in the center of the 
um, in the center of the uh, um, room. And it, it, it was uh, a fairly decently sized room, but there were like 12 or 13 chairs around the table because there's only 12 or 13 of us in the service. And uh, there were four of us under the age of 60, <laughs> I think. Yeah, and, and they put the communion, uh, the bread and the wine on the table, and then they just stared at it. And whenever somebody, it, this is Scottish Pentecostalism. So whenever somebody <laughs> feels like the Spirit's telling them to do something, they would stand up and they would read a passage and then sit down. And then somebody else would, I think the Spirit wants me to pray, and they would pray. And I'm sitting there. And again, I grew up in a Mennonite church, and I'm thinking, man, this is wild. Like, <laughs> first off, like, this is wild. And second off, this is really wild. And then we would <clears throat> sing these, these songs, and they were usually psalms, but they were all of them to the same tune and sung very slowly. Right. So they had one tune for everything, uh, whether or not it fit. Uh, but then at, it was very interesting to me that this, and it was a very somber contemplation of Christ's sacrifice. That was their liturgical idea. Right. But what was interesting to me was immediately afterwards, my friend and I, we got invited out for dinner by two of the cup, two different couples. So we had to mm. pick. They showed you great hospitality. They did. And I was like, Man, this is very strange. Like <laughs> this is this is the sour and dour Scots, not Calvinist, Arminian, I guess. Right. But uh, very jolly once you got them off of worship. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, had a great meal. I guess. I guess the idea is to be jolly in both worship and day to day life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> No, it, it was a very strange thing for me. I, I, I didn't have a, a frame of reference, but, but the, the hospitality, I was like, man. And then the, the, uh, the gentleman, uh, he was an expert in squirrels. Huh. Yes, Interesting. He, he, I think, had written a book on the subject. I'm not sure. But, yeah. And that's, that's the thing about hospitality is that you can share unique and random things like your knowledge of squirrels with other people. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, one of the things that I do whenever I get invited over to somebody's house for dinner, the first thing I do after, you know, shaking my host's hand vigorously... Is you give them a history lecture. No, no, oh, I don't. Okay. I don't do that. No, that's usually third or fourth. That's, that's okay. third or fourth. Yeah. Well, first thing I do, first thing I do is I, I go to his bookshelf. Right. And I, I evaluate the bookshelf. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's important. What has this guy read? Yeah. And then that tells me what we are going to talk about. Well, and an important <laughs> aspect of hospitality is having a bookshelf in your living room because yeah. then you can have a long conversation about books. Yeah. If, if somebody's interested, of mm. course. <laughs> yeah, and then you've got the reference material right there. I've, I've done this millions of times where I'll be sitting there talking and then my guest will point at some book on the shelf. Oh, I read that book. And now this idea in that book I thought was really profound or this idea was really stupid. And then we can, you know, Discuss, take the book off the shelf even. I've loaned books to people like that, you know. Yeah. And then you have this this fruitful, lively discussion mm -hmm. that you're not going to get when you play a video game. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so hospitality as a way to build the church mm -hmm. uh, as a, a – uh, it's an attraction – an, an attraction to people uh, that says, well, there's real community going on here. I want to be part of real community. Yeah. Hospitality 
is outward focused also. Mm-hmm. Um, because there, we, we run across all kinds of people in the world and all of them need to know Jesus. All of them do. Yes. And so hospitality can be a way in which to bless your neighbors mm-hmm. also. Yep. You know, I, when, when a new family shows up anywhere on our street, uh, we try and bring over some food or, mm-hmm. or, or something of that nature, trying to, to uh, develop a sense Mm-hmm. Yeah. of neighborliness and invite people over and and so forth. I know that it can be very useful for the sake of the glory of God to uh, extend hospitality to neighbors. Yeah. Have your neighbors over. Yeah, it can be a very glorious thing. Like one of my best friends is uh, a friend of mine because he's ge- he was geographically my neighbor for two years. Right. You know, our wives met through uh, a ladies' Bible study, right? And we realized that this family was literally across the road, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, now we hang out all the time. Yeah, yeah. The um, another thing too about about hospitality with being uh, a benefit to the neighbors um, and a benefit to the church is that a hearty hospitality can help uh, prevent the. Um, like the bitterness of strife. Okay. Because you're you're eating with each other, you're feasting, you're rejoicing, you're also mourning together uh, over loss, mm-hmm. together, all of it together. It does help. Uh, now, this isn't a universal truth. Sometimes things happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. But a, a culture of hospitality in a church helps prevent the... Uh, the fighting, the disputing, you know, the snarky, backbiting kind of a thing that can very quickly take root. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bitterness against each other that can take root. Now, very often, bitternesses are a result of sins committed over right. hospitality, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, a, a, a good and, and robust hospitality can prevent that and resolve that if it's happened. And a persistence in hospitality yes. in the midst of that. Yeah. And like with neighbors, uh, not all your neighbors are going to be believers. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are going to have wildly different ideas about things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet you can extend the love of Christ to them. Maybe they'll come, maybe they'll come to, to the Lord through a meal. Yeah. Who knows? Well, yeah, and that's that's interesting because if you read the story of uh, Rosaria Butterfield, if anybody's read mm-hmm. her books, um, uh, Openness Unhindered, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, um, she talks about how, uh, I guess she was working as a English professor at a university down in the States. Yeah. She was living a lesbian lifestyle and... Uh, basically a Presbyterian pastor invited uh, him and his wife invited her over for, um, I think it was probably dinner, Mm. um, but it was some sort of hospitality setting. Mm -hmm. And that's how she began to be drawn to the Lord. It was through hospitality. Mm -hmm. And then that's become also one of her big things. Now that she's a Presbyterian pastor's wife is that um, she just shows 
more hospitality than I think probably most of us are capable of, but <laughs> m- m- maybe we should strive to be capable of that. <laughs> well, and that, that's, so, that's actually yeah. a good point is that you can cultivate skill in hospitality. Yes. Like yeah. start with what you can do, start small and then grow to that, like grow into the, in, into the, the practice of hospitality. Uh, like uh, there was a couple, I think it was two years ago, we had those two massive, um, was it pulled pork or what? What was? Oh that? yeah, yeah. He remember. See, you I remember that. You remember that? Uh, what was that? Was that pulled pork or was that? That was brisket. That was brisket. It yeah. was brisket. Okay, so we had these two massive, like fifteen pound briskets. It was like thirty plus pounds of meat, mm-hmm. and that was two years ago. And to this day, people are still talking about that. Yes, I remember it. Everybody's <laughs> like, "Oh, that brisket." Yeah. Well, yeah. That, but I, the I, thing I, is, I, like when I when my wife and I first got married. 30 pounds of brisket was way outside of our reach. Of both, what, you, what you could do. Yeah, both yeah. financially what we could afford to buy, but also like what we could cook. It wouldn't have fit in the oven that we owned at the time, right? Hmm. Um, nor did we really have, you know, skill in cooking that right. quantity of meat. But, oh, all that brisket. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, those kind of things do make a, uh, a mark on your memory because I know going to New St. Andrews College down in the States, like all... Um, there was, there's this one guy there who would invite the entire college over and he would just <laughs> cook two entire lambs over, uh, I, I think he would roast them on an open fire and then he would feed the entire college. Mm. And this guy is a, uh, a French pastor and he's also a French chef. Ah. So he makes incredible, incredible food. And I mean, <laughs> I think everybody who's gone to New St. Andrews College remembers the, like those those feast nights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How could yeah. you not? Yeah. Yes. But but it, you can't just throw a feast if you've never had any sort of practice. Yes. In our early days of marriage, um, we experienced hospitality more than we offered it, certainly. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember that. The the Plants would have us over, the Stephen Lavellas, uh, my brother Stephen, mm-hmm. they would have us over. They were really good examples to us in uh, how to have a family with little kids right. over. We really started extending hospitality to singles in uh, in our house. Um, there were singles at the church that we were a part of and we would have, have them over mm-hmm. and we'd get to know them and we'd ask them questions about themselves. And, and, uh, that was, that was how we started to develop the sense of hospitality. And we would, we would, uh, we moved on to inviting over families, but, uh, that was, you, you gotta start, you gotta start where you are. Yes. Start small. Yeah, you know what? Uh, what actually constitutes hospitality? Like, does there have to be food? Normally, that's the way it is. It's normally the case. But you can have hospitality in other situations as well. Yeah. Uh, but even like if if we're gonna have all the guys get together, say at Nathan's place to watch a fight, watch the fights. Yeah, there's food involved. There is food involved. That man is a master of food, especially and oddly Indian food. <laughs> The guy is as white as snow, okay, <laughs> but he can he can cook a mean whatever the Indian dish is. I don't know what they're called. I just eat them. Yes, yeah. Um, but usually there's food, mm-hmm. which I think again 
is reflective on communion, mm-hmm. that the normal pattern of the worship service concludes with or culminates in feasting with Christ and feasting on Christ. Mm-hmm. And so our, our hospitality is supposed to be in some way reflective of divine hospitality, but you can have hospitality without food, I think, um, there, or where food is, is not the only thing going on. Right. But food really is a... It's a centerpiece. It's a centerpiece. Yeah. I, so so do you think that there are other forms of hospitality? So for example, while I was going through seminary, my mentor would often, we'd often go to a brewery and have a, a IPA beer together or something like that. Right. I would consider that to be a form of hospitality. Yes. Well, yeah. I, I think, about, think about the, the industry that goes by that name. The hospitality industry. The hospitality industry <laughs> is rather large in our world. Yes. And what they do is they provide places for people to sleep. Yeah. And if they're if they're good, they offer breakfast the next day. Ooh, continental. Ooh, yeah, continental breakfast. Well, so, but but that's yeah. that's the hospitality industry. Mm-hmm. Um, there are uh, there are ways in which the hospitality industry is a good thing, and there's ways in which it's a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, the hospitality industry, it, it reminds me in many ways of the, uh, of the way government takes over everything and runs it. Because here's this thing, here's this gift that God has given to Christians, mm-hmm. and it's being run by guys who are trying to line their pockets as well as they can, okay? <laughs> um, the, it's, it's, easy to, it's easier to put somebody up over the night in a hotel than it is to actually have a room yeah. and, and, and host yes. friends. Entertaining is way more work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here, here's a bed, clean sheets. That's nice, but that's not a lot of effort. But if you provide supper and a bed with clean sheets and breakfast, and breakfast, yes, that's really something. Okay, we're still recording on this one. Okay. Oh, we'll find out. Yeah. So okay, we're sort of working. Okay, we're working. Yeah, we were working the whole time. Yes. And we thought we were not working. We thought we were not working, but we were working. <laughs> <laughs> yes, unbeknownst. Unbeknownst. We we are not uh technical. Well, we're now conversing again, so yes. about hospitality. Yes. Yeah, about and talking the, about having people over. Yes. Um this uh this perceived uh takeover of the hospitality industry uh has uh has generated um competitors. Right. Okay. You know, there there's competitors that are that are not particularly Christian, uh, where the Airbnb world rose and right. is now very dominant. Yeah, and uh, it, it can be a really but, uh, really nice. But thing. there yeah. there are other there are organizations. Actually, there's one organization that uh, that uh, we've made use of in our family because when we've traveled in places where we don't have anybody that we know. Mm. Uh, we'll look up uh, a candle in the window network, oh, okay. which is a Christian hospitality network. And if you're if you're a person who's interested in hosting people coming through your area, well, you sign up with these people and get oh. your profile up there. And 
and suddenly there's you can make connection with someone in in uh, Arkansas if you don't know where to stay uh, right <laughs> look them up and arrange with them and they'd be happy to they'd be happy to share a meal with you and and uh, host you overnight and hmm. send you on your way in the morning you know if if God has written hospitality on your heart it's really good to practice it and that, that's a uh, that's an organization that that is is built for to that. facilitate yeah. Christian hospitality of strangers. That's actually really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good idea. Well, one thing that I know I've taken advantage of, and others have as well, is if you know a church in an area, you contact the church mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, we've got this. You know, six people rolling through town, mom, dad, and four kids, or whatever, five kids. Mm-hmm. Who who who's willing to host? Yeah, right. That that is." We should. I've done uh, that. Yeah, well, I know. We should cultivate that in the uh, in the Albertan Church. Mm-hmm. This would be great. Yeah. Like, well, I, Americans I, do it. Why can't we? I know. Uh, <laughs> like my wife and I did that driving out to Alberta. Right. Is um, Jamie talked to somebody in Thunder, Thunder Bay? Bay I think it was yeah. who talked to somebody in Thunder Bay, and so then we had somebody that we never knew host us overnight, and we got yeah. to know a new family. Yeah. And it was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. And it depends where you're from in this country. That's either Thunder Bay or Tunder Bay. Or oh, yeah. Thunder Bay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's excellent. Yeah. yeah. No, I've uh, I've only ever been through Thunder Bay twice, very quickly. Okay. Right. Nobody hosted you. No, I was I was not about to stop. Oh, yeah, you were, you were driving my truck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a fun trip. You know, my family has been the recipients of hospitality more than most mm. uh, because we've we've gone out like I'm I'm a musician and I'm known all over the continent as a kids musician. When I had all my family in tow, we used to go out on tour. Mm-hmm. We'd go and we'd we'd do a tour down through, uh, through the Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, all down in the deep south, or we'd go down the west coast down to California, and uh, part of our ask for uh, hosting a Jamie Souls concert was if we could please uh, stay in someone some hospitable home. Mm-hmm. That was one of our asks, and almost everywhere complied really well. Yeah. So we have met people that have hosted us in their home, and that's no small task when we've got eight kids, <laughs> and there's two of us, there's ten people that you're hosting. Yeah. <clears throat> one, one trip, we actually traveled with the Wattels. Oh, that's even bigger. And uh, their, their family That's about was, 20 people. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was the same size as ours. Two big vans roll into town, and they're all full of kids. And, <laughs> and so we're looking for hospitality for all of these. <laughs> but we, we would plan it ahead. And so we've been, we've been the recipients of so much good Christian hospitality. We've been... Mm. We've been treated like kings in a whole lot of different places. That's excellent. Uh, and so we we love Christian hospitality from uh, from both ends. Mm-hmm. We we love to provide it, and we have received so much of it, and it's been so good for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, another thing, not just with traveling, but also in uh, in in the course of your life, you have moments of of great joy and moments of great sadness, when you have something to rejoice over, 
have people over, mm-hmm. right? When, 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 when something goes right in your life, when the Lord blesses you with something, invite your, your people over and throw a party. Uh, Luke 15, uh, we've got the, um, the, fellow, the, the parable of, of the fellow who lost a sheep, mm-hmm. right? He leaves his 99, goes and gets his one. And much is made of this getting the one and the leaving of the 99, as it should be. Right. But what does he do when he gets back? Yeah, he, come, he comes with this sheep on his shoulders. Now, if you've ever put a sheep on your shoulders, that is a smelly prospect. <laughs> I'm just saying, sheep are... <laughs> yeah, no, if you put a sheep on your shoulders, and I put my shoulders on sheep too, that's equally stinky. But um, he comes with this sheep on his shoulders rejoicing, mm-hmm. and then he calls together his friends and his neighbors. He says, rejoice with me, and they throw a party. Mm-hmm. So when, when the Lord does some good thing for you, some good fortune... <laughs> Throw a party. Have a good time. Christmas. Mm-hmm. Throw a party. Yeah. Easter. Throw a party. Any other time of the year you can find it, throw a party. <laughs> Invite me. I like food. Yes. <laughs> well, and that kind of brings us into something very important about Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. If you read through the Gospels, it is amazing how much hospitality Jesus partakes in. Like mm-hmm. he's yep. part of, he's part of feasting with Pharisees. And then the Pharisees in Luke 15 verse one are criticizing him saying, this man eats with tax collectors and sinners. He's right. not supposed to be eating with those people. He should be eating with us. <laughs> he's welcoming them. He's welcoming them. Yeah. yeah. With open arms. Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing how much uh, fighting and jockeying there is between the, the Pharisees and all these folks to get Jesus over for a, a house party. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of sharp elbows, <laughs> you know, trying to get to the front of the uh, the invite line. Well, yeah, and then uh, that's actually an interesting point as well, because in Luke chapter 7, at the very end of the uh, chapter, the uh, Pharisee there um, shows Jesus hospitality, mm-hmm. and he welcomes him in, but I believe, uh, I believe that's the same chapter where um, this woman who's a sinner yes. comes in and she's rejected by the Pharisee, yep. but Jesus receives her. And so you, you see like a whole bunch of clashing hospitality themes, like what is the right way of doing hospitality? And mm. Jesus is teaching the Pharisees that he came to save sinners. And he's constantly doing that every time he's yes. in their homes. Mm-hmm. So. And Jesus also didn't refuse to eat with the Pharisee. That's right. Mm-hmm. This is another thing not often commented on. Yeah. Sure, Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors, but he's also eating with the Pharisees. The Marxists would like to say that Jesus only ate with, yes. uh, with tax collectors and sinners, mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or at least a Marxist reading of scripture. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about this passage in uh, Luke 19 of uh, Jesus and Zacchaeus. <clears throat> Zacchaeus, the wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> see he what song his pipe and his fiddler's three. No. <laughs> oh, wait, different um, he climbed up in a sycamore tree for a wee little man. Was he for the Lord? He wanted to see. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's right. So Jesus comes along and finds this this small in stature fellow up in the tree because he wants to see, and he he tells him to come down. Because I must stay at your house, mm-hmm. he says. He invites himself over. He, he invited himself over 
That's not a bad uh, habit, by the way. And Zacchaeus throws a party. Yes. <laughs> which is, uh, that's very interesting. Zacchaeus received him joyfully. Mm-hmm. And of course, the Pharisees were grumbling, and that's part of what's going on in the story. He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And then Zacchaeus comes out and he, <clears throat> he repents according to the law of Moses for the things that he did. Yes. And, and so he becomes a better Pharisee yes. than the Pharisees. Yes. Oh, quite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Christ says, well, he too is a son of Abraham. Yes. I find it also interesting in verse 18 that it says that Zacchaeus is standing before the Lord. Zacchaeus is the host. You don't stand before your guest. Mm-hmm. You sit. But Zacchaeus stands in the Lord's presence. I find that very interesting. It, 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 not, it doesn't have anything to do necessarily with hospitality, but I find that posture very interesting. Well, it's interesting because throughout Luke, um, the authority of Jesus factors into how people or whether people show him hospitality. So at the yeah. beginning of Luke chapter 7, uh, the Roman centurion, when he says, I too am a man under authority, he recognizes the, the authority of Jesus, and he doesn't even feel worthy to have Jesus into his home. So Jesus, Jesus doesn't enter into his home in that case, which right. is just an odd little, mm. I mean, it's not an example of showing hospitality, but it's, 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 it's an example of not showing it. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it's interesting to see the, the, the way these oh. themes of hospitality are, are working their way through the book of Luke. Yeah. Mm. It, it, it comes up again and again and, and again. And what is right hospitality? Yeah. And one of the things that you see in, in these mentions of hospitality in Luke is this, uh, this aspect of joyfulness. Yes. Uh, Joyful feasting, I, I would argue then, is the natural posture of the Christian home. And it's an expression that your sins have been forgiven. Yes. Yeah. By Jesus. Absolutely. Because what's <laughs> another interesting thing is in Luke chapter 5, um, what you have is the question about fasting at the end of the chapter because the, the Pharisees are complaining, well, the disciples of John fast and offer, pray, offer prayers, and so did the disciples and the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Jesus responds and says to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? <laughs> What's interesting is that comes right after Levi, who is a tax collector, is saved, comes to follow after Jesus, and Levi makes him a huge feast. Mm-hmm. And yes. so, so you see all these sinners and tax collectors making a big feast for Jesus after he saves them from their sins, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is incredible. So there's hope for the, uh, the Can- Canadian Revenue Agency. <laughs> or for the purveyors thereof. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Well, per- perhaps, perhaps they should throw a feast. Yes. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, there's, uh, there's certainly this, this joyful, this constant joyful feasting in the presence of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And he, he talks about fasting when the bridegroom is no longer present, and, and we've got that when he's three days in the grave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we, we do have some fasting recorded also for us in the book of Acts, uh, but typically fasting has to do with repentance uh, from sin or some dis- uh, disaster and people are praying. But feasting... Is the normal? It's the normal posture of the Christian heart in Christ. Mm. And Jesus did so much feasting and eating with people that it led people to um, give the false accusation that he was a, even a drunkard and a glutton. Yes, mm. and it's kind of like, yeah, well, that's just oh. silly. But th- they obviously said it for a reason. They yeah. thought they got him on something. <laughs> yeah, and you know, God, he didn't slow down. <laughs> God provided for Israel. Seven 
feasts. Feasts. Six of which were actual feasts, one of which was a fast. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's the Sabbath feasting. thing that go, that's going on there too. Yes. Where, where Jesus uh, is the Lord of the <clears throat> Sabbath, therefore yes. you feast with him. Yeah. Yeah. But God is, uh, God is inclined toward this feasting. When people, his people gather, feast. Yes. That, that's the dominant theme. Yeah. So, so God is it. hospitable. Yeah. God is hospitable, and he shows it in, uh, you know, we looked at uh, and, and considered the Trinity and the making of man at the beginning. Even in the way <clears throat> that God set up the world, we see it. Uh, you know, when, when Adam, God speaks to Adam in the garden, and he says to him, every tree in the garden will be food for you. Every tree mm-hmm. will be food for you. That's, that's feasting. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a feasting connection, and God gives it. Yes. God gives it. Every tree except that one. Except uh, don't eat of that one tree. You know, everything's open to you. The tree of life, that's open to you, Adam. Uh, you could eat from that. But don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's one there's one tree. And so you see the generosity of God, the generosity and the hospitality. Here's man into this world. Uh, here, here, have feast, feast. Have it all. Have it all. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, it's very interesting that that's God's posture toward man. You know, I wonder if that's, that's not why, as you were talking earlier, every culture has a, has a hospitality code. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not all the same, but they all have hospitality codes yeah. of, of what you can and can't do in having people over. Yeah, who's, who's the legitimate subject of hospitality, what the limits of that are. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Thinking about that as a uh, as a broad gift of God. You know, it's it has occurred to me that that sin has a tendency to divide. Mm-hmm. It has a tendency to separate people. Um, and yet, cultures. Even non-Christian cultures practice hospitality. You were mentioning Rosaria Butterfield, and her when she talks about the the lesbian culture from which she came. And, you know, I, I'm I'm reluctant to even think of that as a culture, and yet hospitality was a, a premium in in that group. They showed hospitality to one another often, she said. Yeah, yeah, and then Rosaria takes that and and runs with it when she becomes a Christian because mm. it was very central to her life before she became a Christian yeah. and then becomes even more central mm-hmm. after she becomes a Christian. Yeah. And now after she becomes a Christian, now she's showing hospitality to everyone. Right. So <laughs> Not not just the members of the in crowd. Yeah, not yeah. just the members of the in crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Because Christ's hospitality is really, really wide. <laughs> it is very wide. Really right? wide. 
that yeah, I guess that is the difference, isn't it? Yeah. Because when pagan cultures practice hospitality, they're particular about who. Yes. About for whom. And Christ, and Christ is, tells us to go into the highways and the byways and compel them yes. to come in. Yeah, all nations. Yeah. Yeah, Christianity is not for a specific class of people, but it's for all <coughs> nations. Mm-hmm. It's not even for a specific ethnic group. Mm-hmm. It's no. for all ethnic groups. Yeah. Hmm. But the, um, yeah, I, I, I really do. And part of the reason why I agree that, that hospitality is at the center of things is because that's where we, we end up in the book of Revelation. Okay. With the marriage feast of the Lamb. The marriage feast. Right, we wind up. We go from the feast in the garden to a feast. Here, in, eat everything, Adam. Yes, to a feast in the city, mm-hmm. and and it's this glorious, magnificent inclusion of all tribes, tongues, and nations yes. of all peoples from all corners of the earth, from all times, yeah. all in Christ, feasting and celebrating. Yeah. So, I I think it's inescapable the hospitality that we practice. Is a uh, it's a preparation. It's a wetting of the appetite. Uh, it's a it's a tuning of the heart to the loves that God would have it love. Because mm-hmm. in heaven there will be lots of feasting oh. and lots of dancing. Yes, and good beer without end. And amen. <laughs> <laughs> good beer. Who was it? Saint Bridget. Saint Bridget. Saint Bridget, who prayed to the Lord yes. that, that in heaven there would be a lake of beer that she could forever serve to the her, the apostles. To, yeah, to Christ and His holy apostles. Christ and His holy apostles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now there, there's a woman after my own heart. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, have uh, we any closing thoughts, or shall we leave it there? I think that we can probably leave it there. There's uh, hospitality. Uh, we want to commend it to you as a really useful practice for the sake of your church. We want to commend it to you as a Christian grace, as a way in which to grow to be more like Jesus, because Jesus invites you to his table. Therefore, you go invite others to your table because Jesus does it. You do it. Jesus is our, mm. uh, our model. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is the one we want to imitate. And so do imitate him in this way. <clears throat> Learn to have people over. Learn to welcome people into your home. I think that's a great idea. I agree. And then uh, feast and eat and celebrate in the goodness of God together with joy and with gladness of heart. Amen. Indeed. Amen. Amen.